0: Amen. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are thankful this morning that we can look into Your Word and find there the proclamation of the glory of the Passover Lamb, the spotless Lamb of God, the one who was slain but now is alive forevermore, the one with all authority to hold the the deed and the scroll and to unfold the work of redemption, to prepare for us a place... With you, Lord, we are thankful that this text, that these hymns have expressed the glory of our Christ, our Savior. We pray this morning that as we are in fellowship together and now in worship in the Word together, that we would continue to keep our affections appropriately on his kingdom and his rule being grateful and thankful for the work of Christ bringing us into fellowship with our heavenly father lord we pray this morning as we have heard the report of the gospel work in burnham wood and as josh mentioned we pray for josh wikes as he preaches today and i'm mindful of the account of your disciples as they walked on the road to emmaus And as they had heard from their Savior, the words burned in them. I pray that that would be true both for Josh and Burnham Wood and for me this morning as I proclaim the truth of your word from Exodus. So lead us by your Spirit, continue to show mercy to us and myself in the the preaching and the heralding that uh, the word of God would be foremost in the time. In Christ's name we pray to you. Amen. You can be seated. Um, We are going to turn our Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, As you do that, I want to start the service, or this sermon, by expressing uh, a happy birthday to Cheryl Schneider. Today is Ms. Schneider's birthday. Happy birthday, Cheryl. Um, I for, mo- for most of you for many of you you have a close working relationship with Cheryl because of the way she serves uniquely here at church and she does that uh, uh, for what I think is a pretty clear reason and that is she's kingdom oriented and so working at church is a way to continue to focus on that burden and that passion she has and so we're thankful to have her here and get to celebrate her birthday today But I also want to mention that there's an ongoing opportunity to pray for Cheryl and for Pete. Uh, Pete can't be here today. He is recovering from the infection we mentioned last week. But because of that infection, there's been some effect on his heart. And so he has to have heart surgery on Tuesday morning. So please keep Pete and Cheryl in prayer. He'll have to have a valve replacement done on Tuesday. So please keep Pete in your prayer because there will be a significant recovery from that. And so we're thankful to be able to celebrate with Cheryl, but we're also mindful to pray for for them. Uh, One more thing. Uh, Is Josh... uh, Sturm still in the room. Josh? Hey, can you clarify for me an announcement from earlier? That youth group activity you have, is it Friday night or Saturday night? Saturday? So what's the date? Well, it is the 17th? Okay. Okay, so Saturday night. You're going to get together with the teens. If you have any questions about that, you can talk more with Josh. In... Exodus chapter 12. We read things like this. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. Observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. We're going to walk through a lengthy text of Scripture. So I'll read those as we get to each point. But I hope that you heard there that what we're following up from last Sunday is that the Lord is communicating to His people, don't forget what I've done. That would be my request to all of us. Don't forget what god has done forgetfulness is a risky thing for god's people losing our first love not living mindfully of how great the god of our salvation is living mindfully of what the implication is that we are not our own we have been bought by the blood of christ to a new life in him don't forget the title is remember your passover now as we walk through this section of narrative you're going to notice and it's going to be a potential um, uh, spot of confusion you're going to notice that it seems like the story is being told over and over from slightly different vantage points and that is happening for one example God first spoke to Moses and Aaron this is what's going to happen Then we're going to see today Moses and Aaron go and tell the people This is what God said Now it's good that it's shared Because we pick up more Particulars As it's relayed But we're also going to hear the Lord say over and over Keep this memorial Keep this memorial So here's how I would say that this section Breaks up into five Consecutive sections The plague was foretold Exodus 11. Last week we read the initial institution of the Passover, Exodus 12, 1-13. through 13. Today we read instruction for the feast of Passover. A feast that coincides with it, the feast of unleavened bread, chapter 12, verse 14. They're doing a good job. <laughs> then we'll see, at the end of today, in Exodus 12, 29-42... through 42, the 10th plague is executed, and the exodus actually happens. We've just been hearing about it to this point. and then in Exodus 43 <clears throat> through Exodus 12:43 um, through13:16, we'll see the institution. So these five points break out. We started them two weeks ago, then last week. Today we're going to cover more, and then we'll finish with one next week. So we see how important it is in religious life and the life of God's people that this remembrance, this memorial, this festival be observed carefully and faithfully. So what I intend to do is walk us through four main points of the text we're going to look at in Exodus chapter 12. So please take your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. We start... Our morning today in verse 14. Let me read this as we get ready to consider the memorial. Telling the story of God to every generation. The word of the Lord says in Exodus chapter 12 verse 14. This day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, remove leaven out of your house. For if anyone eats what is leaven from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. On the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day... I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Memorial is commanded for telling the story of God from generation to generation. The term from generation to generation, it's a statute forever. It gives us two important elements of what God's doing. First, it tells us that each generation that hadn't experienced it in person is supposed to be reminded. And then it tells us that it's a festival to the Lord. It's a special, solemn celebration focusing attention back to a specific event. I want to say that again because it brings something to our mind. This is meant to be a special and solemn event that points the attention of God's people Back to a specific event. It's what we still do at communion. It's meant to be special. It's meant to be solemn. And it's meant to point the attention of God's people back to the cross. Then there's this lengthy section about unleavened bread. And you think, oh, okay, all right, a lot of stuff about unleavened bread. What is the point of the unleavened bread? Well, First of all, bread without leaven is very unique and very unpleasant. I don't know how many of you have ever eaten what's called hardtack, but bread that is unleavened is not meant to be enjoyable. However, that's the point. It was functional. So in the memorial, in what they would do for generations to come, make sure that they didn't have any leaven in the house. If you know much about leaven or making bread, um, one of the ways to leaven bread would be to take an unleavened lump of dough and place it in the open air. And as leaven was something that could uh, uh, in, um, permeate the dough from the air, you could just set it out and there would be a certain degree of leaven and rising. And so cleanse your house. Get rid of all the leaven. Because on the night of the Exodus, there was not time for the bread to rise. And so it reminded them, it was a memorial. Like Jesus reminds disciples in Luke 9. You remember he gives that list of disciples. He's calling them to be his disciples. And they say, well, if I'm going to do this first. I'm going to do that first. And he, at one point they say, I'm going to go say goodbye to my father and mother. And he says, no, um, but rather whoever's going to follow me, put your hand to the plow and, and don't look back to those other things. So there is this urgent priority That's true in the Passover. And so he says no leavened bread in the house because in the night of the Exodus, we went out in haste. The Lord delivered his people instantly and quickly. The language at the end of the verse, in verse 17, this memorial and this practice is meant to be done throughout your generation as a statute forever. This reminds us, that what we are studying in the Exodus is a paradigm of God's saving act. The Exodus serves as a sort of illustration of ultimate salvation. The ultimate Exodus. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Where people are not just delivered from physical bondage, but from the bondage of sin itself. The Exodus is a paradigm. It provides life... Not merely in a promised land, but the gospel provides eternal life in land promised in fellowship with God. We are supposed to tell each new generation about the work God has done in redeeming and delivering his people. I want to say to the children in the room. I think sometimes when you grow up in a church culture, you might think you hear the same story A lot of times you might think i've already heard the story of christmas but here it is a year later and we're hearing the story of christmas again well i want you to understand that there's some beautiful reasons why you'll hear something in sunday school and then maybe in awana and then maybe in a sermon there's a really important reason kids why we tell you the story of god over and over one is because we want to tell you so much that you don't forget. Do you ever forget things? Do you ever forget when your parents... Yeah? Thank you. That's good confession. We forget things, right? Clean your room. And you really forgot. And so your parents say again, remember, I said clean your room. And so we tell you a lot of times, because we don't want you to forget the most important things. Also, we tell you because, you know, some of you are new here. The thing about kids is that they just keep coming. So sometimes you're eight and ten years old, but you have a little brother or a little sister who's four or five years old. And so we tell the story about God to them so that they hear. And then, third, why do we keep telling the next generation? Why do we keep telling you the story about God? Because God cares about the next generation. God wants the next generation to know the things that he has told to the previous generation. And so God wants you to know what other Christians have known, because God cares about each generation knowing him truly. So sometimes it seems like I'm hearing the same story over and over. Or maybe adults, sometimes it feels like I'm telling the same story over and over. I'm telling the same truth about God to my kids over and over and i don't know if it's affecting them much there was a hymn written in 1866 by arabella Hankey. she said in the title of the hymn i love to tell the story i love to tell the story tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time i tell it more wonderfully sweet i love to tell the story for those who have never heard it the message of salvation from God's holy word. I love to tell the story to those who know it best. They seem hungry and thirsty to hear it like the rest. And when, in scenes of glory, I sing that new, new song, I'll find it to be the same old story that I have sung so long. When we get to heaven, we are told that we will sing a new song. It may be a new song, but it won't be a different message. It will be the same song of our God and his glorious salvation in Jesus Christ. It will be the story of deliverance that we're studying in Exodus. But not just the deliverance from physical bondage into promised land, but the ultimate story of being delivered from spiritual bondage and sin to eternal life with the Father. So we're told here, first of all, that God's people should continually repeat as a memorial what God has done. This is the instruction for us. Be careful. I cannot remember right now who it was. I read years ago that said, tell truth to people once because people are forgetful. Tell them twice because the devil would like to steal truth. Tell them three times in hopes they'll remember We should not grow weary in recounting over and over the truth of what God has done. The truth of what God has done in our life. Always being ready to give answer and explanation for the joy that's in us. So, the first thing God says to his people is tell this to each generation. I have revealed myself. You tell the story to those who weren't here in person but are your descendants. Then the next thing is in verse 21 through 28, instruction for the people's obedient worship. God cares about particular obedient worship, and Moses is his messenger who conveys that. So, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 through 28, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, And touch the lintels of the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of the house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever." When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this sacrifice? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. The people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Instruction for obedient worship. All the instruction in 12, 1 through 20, had been given to Moses and Aaron. Now, as we just read, convey the message to the next generation or tell the story to others. That's exactly what they did in the first generation. They went and took what they heard about God from God and told it to the rest of the people. To the leaders of... I thought, I thought about the, the relaying of communication. They didn't tweet it. They didn't shoot out an email blast. They had these really organized methods for relaying truth to the whole group. First go tell the clan leaders or the family heads, and then they'll tell their group, and that will pass down. And so that's what Moses does. He says, then he went and told them to tell each other, This is what was instructed. Now verse 22 (coughs) gives a bit of detail that we didn't have earlier. It doesn't mean there's a contradiction. It just means the story is being retold and it's helpful, it's clarifying. The first thing we see in verse 22 is that there's a basin for collecting the blood. Collect the blood from the slaughtered animal. Then (coughs) dip a bunch of hyssop branches into the basin and spread the blood around the doorpost. Once the blood had been applied, no one was supposed to go outside of their house, but remain there until morning. We have already seen, we will see again, the significance of the blood covering. And it it can't be said too much. I heard a story that Steven Spielberg uh, was making. I don't know how many of you have seen the animated version of, um, is it called the Exodus? No, Prince of Egypt? Is that what it's called? Prince of, is that? I might have wrote it down. Yeah, Prince of Egypt. <clears throat> uh, it's not the worst version of a Bible story you would ever see. Um, I, it might even be helpful as we go through Exodus to watch it with your children. Steven Spielberg was the director, and when it came to this part where they were going to depict what had happened on the night of the Passover, uh, he said a sign. And so he wanted to just limit it to, like, a plaque on the head of every door and wherever that plaque was. And there were some biblical advisors on, on the scene or in the process, and they said, whoa, whoa, it is impossible for you to rightly convey any part of the Exodus and this Passover without referring to blood. The only way to accurately tell this story is not to say it was a plaque on the head of every home's door, but the blood. And so thankfully, uh, he was convinced and, and he made the adjustment to tell the story correctly. The Bible says that everywhere where there was the blood, the Lord would pass through and strike Egyptians, but not allow his destroyer to enter into the homes that were under the blood. Spectacular imagery. First of all, please don't be surprised that the Lord himself performs these plagues. It's been true all along. The Lord is not a passive observer or an initiator, but the Lord has been bringing each of these plagues to Egypt. And in this one, it's no different. The Lord would pass through Egypt. But not allow his destroyer to enter into any of the homes where the blood was over the door, on the door. Our God is not a deistic God, but a personal God who relates personally and directly with his creation. He personally participates in this judgment and then the destroyer I would love to have 15 minutes of vivid explanation of who the destroyer is Mm, but I don't and it would be dangerous to try I only know that this could be the angel of the Lord as a direct uh, representative of God himself In verse 24, each generation was expected to teach each new generation. It is the responsibility of everyone who has experienced the Exodus to tell the story of Exodus. Paul says something I think that is formative to our life. He said, I have become a minister of the gospel according to the grace I've received. Paul says, I do this because it's what I've received. God is only telling his people, Israel, to tell the next generation the grace they received in being set free. And and I would tell you, tell the next generation, tell every new person about the grace you have received in being set free. That is a great place to start sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we refer to people as having the gift of evangelism. It's not an inaccurate statement. Maybe we mean a person who's very talkative. I'm not sure. But I want you to understand this you don't get to dismiss yourself from the instruction God's given. Tell everyone else. Because you don't have the, quote, gift of evangelism. He doesn't say to the people, now I want you to tell every coming generation about how I saved you. As long as you have the gift of evangelism or storytelling. I just want you to be aware. I know that some people do it eagerly, and comfortably, and maybe that's not you. But it doesn't mean that we're removed from this instruction to convey the wonder of God to those who have never heard. Number three, we see next that God gives us an explanation or the narrative, the story of judgment and deliverance. In verse 29 through 42, if you'd look with me, in verse 29, at midnight the Lord struck, down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock Pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and all the Egyptians there was a great cry in Egypt there was not a house where someone was not dead then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said up Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flock and herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. What a... What a tragic portion... Of human history a nation wherein a moment the oldest of every family dies I I wonder how many families had heard this was what's coming next it had been conveyed to Pharaoh and his court, his servants overheard it I wonder how many of them said we've seen this come to pass nine times and here's what is said is coming. I wonder how many Egyptian families determined to sit up through the night with their children. And then suddenly they fell limp. And the breath that had been given them by their Creator and the heart that beat in their chest stopped. sorrow and lament and anguish at being rebellious being apart from God's promises is felt so dramatically in these few verses and the judgment is startling so startling that finally once and for all as God had said Pharaoh relents I cannot any longer oppose the will of God bring Moses and Aaron whatever you've asked for in the past you have it now go quickly judgment is so severe and I have verse 29 through 42 and one of our points judgment and deliverance and the same point hand in hand we see judgment and deliverance let's look at deliverance then I want to take us to Romans in verses 33 through 42. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. Get out! So, on the night when this took place, verse 34, the people took their dough before it was leavened. They're kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders the people of israel had also done as moses had told them and asked the egyptians for silver gold and clothing the lord had given the people favor in the sight of the egyptians so that they let them have what they asked thus they plundered the egyptians as god had previously said they would and the people of israel journeyed from ramesses to succoth about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children a mixed multitude also went up with them and their livestock, both flocks and herds they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt for it was not leaven because they were thrust out of Egypt couldn't wait nor had they prepared for any provision for themselves in these two paragraphs the unimaginable anguish of judgment and the long anticipated joy of salvation in two paragraphs helpfully side by side Let me explain a little bit more. As Moses wrote this narrative, he reminds the reader to understand four things. Let me show you. In verse 31 and 32, we just read the suddenness of the Exodus. Do you remember back the original concern Pharaoh had? He says, this people is so many. If we're attacked by an outside invader and this people decide, hey, we don't like the oppression we're experiencing, we're going to align ourselves with the invaders, Pharaoh says, we'll be overthrown. We'll be ruined. We have to reduce the number of the people of Israel so that it doesn't become a threat to national security. Pharaoh gets to this point and says, you are a threat to national security. Leave now. Moses writes, that they were released suddenly, as God had promised. He also says, look at verse 33 and 34, they had full and even eager permission for the exodus. The Egyptians pressured the people, get out quickly or we will all be dead, which is what God had said earlier. He said to Pharaoh, he says, Pharaoh, if I wanted this over every egyptian could just be dead i wouldn't need an exodus they could just live in your house because you would be dead and so that's the point here we're all going to die if we keep resisting the will of god god uses the egyptians to help make the israelites do what they surely would have found uncomfortable if i can just say uncomfortable 430 years They had lived here. 430 years. We read Bible stories and we're like, yeah, 430 years. Oh yeah, that happened. Next page. Keep in mind 430 years as compared to all of American history. They had lived there 430 years. Their grandparents grew up down the street. All their social acquaintances were there. All of the way they had come to live in a certain climate or seasons or atmosphere, all of it comfortable there, even though they were in bondage. If the message had been, okay, you can go when you're ready, would they have delayed? I don't know. But that wasn't an option. The people go and plead with them. Get Out now. Our our children play together. I know, but our relationship is over. We could die if you don't leave. Just leave. God provides for full and even eager permission for the exodus. Number three, in verse 34, the people believed the exodus would be final. You know, there had been some conversation, okay, you can go a little way, you can do your worship, and then come back. That's obviously not what they believed had been provided. They grab the dough, they throw it into some rags or coats, they throw it over their shoulder, and they head out, and there they make something to eat once they're leaving. Fourthly, in verse 35-36, how would the Israelites survive in the wilderness? How would they have means to trade to get what they needed they're going to need financial provision God knew that his people would be impoverished after all these years of slavery yet he's asking them to head off into a lengthy costly journey and they would need supply and so God had already told them Okay, go to all your captors and tell them to give you gold and silver and clothing. I, I cannot fathom what that conversation was like. I, I know we've been your bond servants for all these years, and um, I know that recently you've kind of doubled down on the harsh treatment, and I'm here to ask you for your jewelry. Okay. I don't know. I, I can't. My, my imagination, I don't think, has parameters to see what God did in those dialogues, in those conversations, just the the mystery of how he provided. The people give it. Here's what I want you to understand. As we have, some time ago, studied, especially Romans 9, 10, and 11, we could say that the nature of those three chapters is can there come from the same God salvation and condemnation? Can he be righteous in either category? Can a holy God be right in saving the undeserving? Can a holy God be right in not saving all of us? Turn your Bibles to Romans nine. In the text we just read of God's holy word, we have two of the more vivid reminders. Of judgment from God and gracious salvation by God. And Paul had been led by the Lord to give commentary on that event in Romans 9. Um, The question of can, on the same night, a righteous God bring about the death of a large group of Egyptians? Children and the same God deliver captives so suddenly and so awesomely. Romans 9 14. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then his salvation does not depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. The case in point is the text we're studying right now. The scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then God has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say, then why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? Who could decide whether they would be Egyptian or Israelite? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to the molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel of honor and another for dishonor? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath. What if God didn't eliminate Egypt and plague one in order to make known the riches of his glory to vessels of mercy? What if God has allowed us to see The gloom, the grief of the 10th plague, in order that we more truly see his mercy. Would you right now waste the 10th plague by not reading it and saying, but I'm not counted among those condemned? But by God's grace, we are those who perish. But what if God, in order to show us his mercy, his grace, has allowed us to come to Exodus chapter 12 and read side by side the weight of his wrath and the fullness of his grace? Judgment and salvation, and then lastly, providence. Verse thirty-seven, <clears throat> Exodus twelve thirty-seven. The people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth about six hundred thousand men on foot, besides the women and children. <laughs> well. Uh, a couple of things that make this text hard for us. One is geography. I like Bible geography, but no amount of study of Bible geography is going to point clearly to this location. So we don't know exactly. Makes it hard. The other thing I like is things that make perfect sense. And so I want to see 600,000 men and the women and children and how that worked. The problem is the word translated thousand is tricky the word translated thousand is elef it means a lot of things you remember me, I've told you stories about my dad speaking Portuguese and I would always ask him words, what's the Portuguese word for this there's no Portuguese word for that why are you keeping it a secret (laughs) what is it you don't want me to know I couldn't fathom that Like there is no word for that There's a lot of words for that. It can mean clan, division, family, tribe. So what is it? 600 families? 600 clans? Tribes? I don't know. I don't know. And I want to know. Trust me. Maybe you want to know. We don't know. Here's what we do know, and this is really incredible. What comes next? There are a lot of people, verse 38, a mixed multitude went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. You know, I I don't think most Christians fathom that the Exodus wasn't just for ethnic Hebrew people. I don't think we think about that. And I think not thinking about that causes us some problems later. We draw maybe a deeper line in the sand between this ethnic group and our ethnic group. And maybe the Exodus helps us see there is a line. Maybe it's not as deep as we thought it was. Right here, we start to see what later we read as they are not all Israel who are Israel. There is spiritual... There is ethnic. But right here, we say appropriately, God delivers Israel from Egypt in the Exodus. That's true. But it doesn't mean that they were all ethnic Israel. There is this mixed multitude of people who believed the promise of God. In this way, they're a little bit like Ruth. You remember back when Ruth says to Naomi, your people are now my people, your God is now my God. That's the mixed multitude. They say, we believe the promise. God's going to rescue you. Your God's our God now. (laughs) And they come out of Egypt with Israel. In verse 40 and 41, Moses reminded the reader just how long the captivity had been, 430 years. Makes sense how the people grew to this 600 clans. Out of just 70 people. Now to thousands and thousands of people. And then in way of transformation, I want to finish with just verse 42. A bit obscure. It says this. It was a night of watching. So much death. So much deliverance. And it's described in verse 42 as a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night, the memorial, this same night of watching is kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generation. The night was watching. Um, You remember when Moses first arrives? And Moses and Aaron go and tell the elders God has seen your affliction. God has watched. And he's had mercy on you. And the people, the Bible says the people break into a worship service. They celebrate. God's watching us. And when it comes to its end it's described as a night of watching. The Lord has seen. Now, I can't help but hear some undertones of shepherds and angels. Don't be afraid. God's been watching. We're here to tell you that He has promised Exodus. We're here to tell you He's delivered His people. I, I can't help but hear that, but that's a little adventy for right now. So here's the command to us. As we remember God's salvation of us it's supposed to be a night of watching now we can't watch over the Lord the way the Lord watches over us the Lord isn't in need of us watching over him but if I could paraphrase as we memorialize we contemplate, as we pray as we convey the message of salvation we are instructed to stay on point stay on point maybe it sounds like this love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor Maybe it sounds like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But whatever it is, as we think about God watching, we ought to do better to stay on point. It's, it's response. It's God's grace producing in us our reasonable worship and so I would leave you with that I beg you then by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to the Lord which is your reasonable worship so don't be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing, you can prove what the will of God is. You can know what the plan of God is. So, the instruction is clear. Don't forget what God has done. Forgetfulness is a dangerous thing. It produces all sorts of inactivity. Kids, when mom and dad say, go, go, eat supper and you're playing downstairs and you forget to go to supper you don't do anything but you miss out on a lot forgetfulness is a dangerous thing let's remember our first love let's remember the God of our exodus let's pray father I'm thankful today that we could have this revelation of you Cause our hearts to be uh, responsive to the significance of forgetfulness, to not look back on the spiritual calling that you gave us when you delivered us from sin's bondage, when you set us in freedom and liberty to life and fellowship and delight in you. I pray, God, that we would be faithful stewards to explain and to share and to herald the truth of our salvation from generation to generation. That the wonder of your revelation, the work of your hand would not be forgotten. But as we have been taught, we would teach others who would then in turn teach others also. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the significance of instruction. The detail of explaining to your people how it is that we go about being blessed in remembering. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand with me and sing?